chapter 3 this morning. And with the coming new year, this is a really good time every year to obey and to do Proverbs chapter 4 verse 26, which says this, ponder the path of your feet. Right? And the Word of God tells us that periodically we ought to be reflecting. And what that looks like is we look down at the path that we're walking, how we're living the Christian life, and we consider it. Okay? And we take inventory in the light of eternity, in light of all of what God has called us to do in His Word. How's it going in our, with our souls? How's it going in the paths and the trajectories that we're living, and as we consider, and as we take inventory periodically, we make those adjustments that the Holy Spirit convicts us of, those things that God shows us in our life. And the new year is a really good time to do that. A really good time to ponder the path of your feet. And one thing just to encourage you, um, not to let the world take things from you that belong to Jesus Christ. Is New Year, it doesn't belong to the world. They celebrate it. But this marker of time, God made it. You ever thought about that? God made the New Year. As early as Genesis chapter 1, we're told that God hangs the sun and the moon in the firmament. And God says that these will be for signs and for seasons and they'll mark months and years. And so think about that. From the Garden of Eden, from the very dawn of civilization and human history, there's been this marker of time called the year that human beings have acknowledged. And so this is a good time this year and every year to ponder the path of your feet. And that's what we're going to do this morning as we meditate on one verse of Scripture. One verse of Scripture. We don't do that very often. At Grace Community Church. But we're going to dive into one verse this morning. And we're going to meditate on 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. And I'm going to read that for us as we begin. This is Peter's command to these Christians. He says this. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him... Be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. This is Peter's exhortation this morning. I think this is helpful to us. I was having a conversation this week with my mailman about Christ. And he began to unpack for me one of the hangups that he has uh, or had had about Christ and about Christianity, he began to tell me this story that he grew up in a very rigid, very conservative Christian context. And he told me that from the moment he was born to the moment he moved out, he grew up in the church. And he told me that his church was very good at one thing and one thing only. They were experts in telling me everything not to do. He said they were really good and telling me that thou shalt not. And everything I wasn't supposed to be doing. And he said, but it's hard to believe. But I spent almost two decades in the church. 
and nobody told me what to do and how to live the Christian life and the things that I was supposed to be going after. Christianity for me was just avoiding all the problems and nobody ever filled in the gaps of what I'm supposed to be pursuing. And what I want us to notice this morning is that Peter, he is not guilty of that. Okay? He's given us something very tangible that we, here, that we can aim at. Here is how we live. Here's what we're supposed to be doing. Here's how we're supposed to be moving forward. And what he tells us to do in this passage is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to gather together in the name of the Lord. And we're going to give attention to the Word of God. And when we walk out of here, my prayer and the aim of this text is that we would move forward with Jesus Christ. Does that sound exciting to you this morning? I want more of Christ. I want to grow as a Christian. I want to move forward in my Christian life. That's where we're headed this morning. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before we dive into an exhortation this morning of what God would have us to do coming out of this text, I want us to pause and I want to make sure everybody in the room understands some really foundational doctrines. And, and they're foundational when we think about any type of Christian growth. Okay? And these are really, really important because if you don't get these, the whole building crumbles. And so we're going to give a lot of attention this morning to foundational doctrines of Christian growth. And the first thing that I want us to consider is I want us to consider this morning who is the audience that the Apostle Peter is talking to when he looks at them in this letter and he tells them, grow in grace. Grow in grace. Who's he talking to? And this is a really, um, this is a really important detail. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump around both first and second Peter quite a bit this morning. So I want you to turn to the very beginning of Second Peter, and I want us to notice that from the very first verse in this letter, Peter is addressing the righteous, not the wicked. He's talking to people that are saved, not people that are lost. He's talking to Christians, believers. Notice this, uh, chapter one, verse one. Look at who he addresses the letter to. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's talking to those who have the righteousness of Jesus. And so this is important. He does tell this group of people to grow in grace. But it's really important that we understand the people that he's exhorting to grow in grace are saved. They have the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is really important. Okay? You can waste lots and lots of time in your life by not understanding this one little point. You cannot live the Christian life unless you're a Christian. Okay? You cannot. The Christian life is impossible. It's supernatural. You're not any more able to live the Christian life than you're able to atone for your sins. You cannot live the Christian life unless you're a Christian. Another way to say that is you can't 
do righteousness until you're righteous in Jesus Christ. It doesn't work any other way. To use an analogy, if you were to think about um, reversing this order and, 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 and you're really stirred up and you want to move forward with Christ, but you're not a Christian. I want you to think about, you know, an illustration would be if you got in a car and you wanted to go on this really long journey. You got a tank full of gas and you got plenty of time, made all your plans and you get in the car. And the first thing you do is yank the emergency brake up. And if that's you in, in this in this illustration, it doesn't matter if you crank that car and stick your foot on the pedal and rev that engine as loud as you can go. Okay, the thing that's not going to happen is you're not going anywhere. Now, you can't drive a car with the emergency brake pulled. You can put forth tremendous effort and you can try with all your might, but you will not. You will not make any progress. So it is. So it is with the Christian life. You cannot grow in grace until you have been saved by the grace of God. You know, another way to say this is that justifying grace, the grace that justifies you and makes you right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It always comes before the grace that sanctifies you and makes you more like Christ. You can waste a lot, a lot of years in your life trying to pretend to be a Christian and pretend to live the Christian life. But you got to have the power. You have to know Christ. You have to have real access to the grace of God. Or you have no chance of growing in grace. This is foundational. Foundational. Another important reminder. We make our way to 2 Peter 3.18. Another important reminder is for us to remember. When we think about growing in grace. We need to remember that there's a sense in which grace doesn't grow at all. Okay? You say, wait a second. You, you, you sound really uh, close to arguing with Scripture there. Okay? Grow in grace is the commandment. And my reminder to us, but there is a sense in which grace doesn't grow at all. No, never. Okay? And we need to understand that. We need to have some different categories when we think about the grace of God. And so consider this. What is, what is Peter not doing when he commands these Christians to grow in grace? And one thing we can be absolutely certain that he's not doing is he's not looking at a bunch of Christians and he's not saying grow in your justification. Okay? You see that? Like we already know that these Christians, they have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So think about that. How do, how do we go past that? How do we go one step over that? How do we increase that righteousness? And the answer is we don't. In that sense, grace doesn't grow at all. And neither is, neither is Peter looking at a group of Christians, the chosen elect of God. And he's not commanding them to be more chosen than they already are. You see that? There's parts of the gospel there's parts of the grace of God that has already been given to every believer. And it doesn't increase. It doesn't fluctuate. Not now and not even into eternity. And think about it. He's not even looking at them. And he's not even telling these Christians to be more adopted by God than they already are. That's not what he's after here. Okay? 
No such thing as being more adopted, more a son of God than you were. You think about this. These things that we're talking about are justification, our right standing before God, our election, our adoption. In a thousand years, you will not be more justified than you are right now. In a thousand years, if you're in Christ this morning, you will not be more chosen by God than you are right now. In a thousand years, and let's just add a million on top of that, you will not be more or less of a son of, or a daughter of God than you are right now. Right now. They're fixed. They're once for all gifts of grace. These Christians have, in chapter 1, verse 1, equal standing with the apostle himself. Now that is amazing. These are no-name, nameless Christians. And because of the gospel, they stand in the exact place before God as the Apostle Peter himself. Why? Because of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Does that encourage you this morning to think about that? That there's this once-for-all, these once-for-all gifts of grace, and we have the same access, the same standing before God is the Apostle Peter when we trust Christ, when we believe the Gospel. This is our privileged, unchanging, eternal position before God. And it's all of grace. And in this sense, the grace of God never grows, never increases. But there's another sense in the Christian life where the grace of God does grow and it does increase. The area of progressive sanctification and the area of our practice before God, how we live the Christian life. And this is the area that Peter's exhorting us in this morning. The sanctifying grace of our God. So think about it like this. As it relates to our justification our privileged position before God because of Christ, all Christians are exactly the same. They're on equal ground. All across the room, you go and you do this mentally any way you want to. Every Christian, nobody in this room is more justified than the other. Same righteous garment of Jesus Christ. Nobody's more a son or more a daughter of God in this room than another Christian. In the sense of our justification, we're on equal standing before God forever. But as it relates to our sanctification, we are not all on equal standing in this room. There are different degrees in the Christian life. There are different degrees of progress in the Christian life. And so one of the ways you can think about this in this text, about growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you could say this, all Christians have grace. Amen? All Christians stand in grace. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. We stand in it. We've received it. All Christians. But some Christians have grown stronger in the grace of God than other Christians. That's the difference. And justification and sanctification. Or think about growing in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's not a Christian that doesn't know Christ. All Christians know Christ. 
But some Christians know Christ better than other Christians. These are these degrees of growth in the Christian life. As we read the New Testament, there are several different ways that these degrees are hinted at. We read about babies in Christ. This infant stage of the Christian life. We read about children that grow to maturity. These different degrees of progress in the Christian life. And it's all of grace. All of it is of grace. And one of the things that I want us to, to learn this morning is to have a more comprehensive view of the grace of God. Because the grace of God does both of those things. Does both of those things. You know, one way to say this to confront a, a wrong understanding in our culture is to remind ourselves that the New Testament teaches us that the grace of God in our life does more than accomplish our initial salvation. Now, praise to His holy name that it accomplishes our initial salvation. And so we don't want to downplay that at all. We just want to say, but it does more than that. Okay? It does more than that. The grace of God does more than forgive you of your sins and give you a right standing before God. It does more than that. Very early in his, in, in his first letter, this is 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter hits at this idea of, of, of what the comprehensive grace of God intends to do in our life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He tells these Christians that they're chosen. And then we have these words. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. I want you to think about how beautiful this is. Not only is he telling these Christians that they're called up in Trinitarian salvation. Did you catch that? He praises the Father for something, praises the Spirit for something, praises Jesus for something. That's us. We're called up in Trinitarian salvation. But he looks at these Christians in this letter and he addresses them and he tells them that God chose you. And he finishes that phrase, for obedience to Jesus Christ. For obedience to Jesus Christ. And this is a full throttle reminder for us that when God saved you, He saved you with a view to obeying Jesus Christ. Comprehensive salvation from sin. He wipes away your sin, forgives your sin, gives you the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but it does not stop there. You have been chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with His blood. My favorite way that this is described in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul says the same thing as the Apostle Peter. And he tells us in Titus chapter 2 that that grace of God that we've received, not only does it save us, he tells us that that same grace transforms us. And I want you to turn there with me this morning to Titus chapter 2. I want you to see this beginning in verse 11. Paul says this, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, 
bringing salvation for all people. Now, let's just pause right there. That's what we know about the grace of God. And that's what we rightly celebrate about the grace of God, that we were toast. We had no hope. And the grace of God appeared and brought salvation for all people, all who will trust Christ. That's grace. We know that. We rightly celebrate that. But I want you to look at the next move that's made in Holy Scripture. That same grace that has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Paul's next words. Training us to renounce ungodliness. And that's the category that I want to make sure you have this morning. That the grace of God does more than, not less than, does more than initial salvation. It also brings about sanctification in our life. That verse goes on to say the same grace that saves us, trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. In the present age. And so the first thing that we talked about is that justifying grace, it always comes before the grace that sanctifies, and you need to know that. And equally as port is important, we're, we're, we're teasing out these texts of Scripture that tell us that the sanctifying grace of God always follows the justifying grace of God. In the New Testament, there is no such thing as someone who has been forgiven of their sins and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God that doesn't begin to walk in newness of life. They always go together. Justification and sanctification. And the grace of God does it all. Saves us and trains us to renounce ungodliness. I hope you understand you, you know, how different that Titus 2 verse is than how we typically think about grace. And I'll give you an example to try to help you along this path. Many times in my life I've heard a critique. You know, at, at an individual Christian or a church or whatever. And that critique comes some, some, something along the lines of, that wasn't very gracious. You ever heard that critique? Okay. I just saw this thing go down and that was not very gracious. Now, that critique is right. And the vast majority of the time, that's exactly right. We need to, we need to call out everything that doesn't, that, that's not gracious. And so I'm not coming against that at all. But you know what? Out of maybe the hundred times that I've heard that said, that's not gracious. I have never heard a human being say, that's not gracious in the sense of Titus 2.12. It's always in the sense of Titus 2.11. Okay? That puts away sin. That, that forgives sin. But I've never heard a Christian say, that wasn't very gracious because that did not teach that man or woman to renounce ungodliness. To live a godly life in the present age. Okay? And that's the category that I want to make sure you have this morning. That the grace of God does both of those things. Puts away our sin and transforms us into the likeness of Christ. And so if, you're, if we were to illustrate this with plants. This idea of growing with plants. You know, if you drive around this spring and you begin to see, you know, these flowers pop up on, you know, our crepe myrtles. 
Um, one of the things that you intuitively know when you see those flowers popping on that tree is you intuitively know this. That tree is alive. The growth in the flower is a sign of life in that plant. And that same reality is true for the Christian. That a Christian that is growing in grace and producing the fruits of righteousness, this is a sign that this brother or this sister has been born again by the Holy Spirit. That they're alive in Christ. It doesn't make them right with God, but it's evidence that they're alive and that they've been born again by the power of God. Next piece, a foundational knowledge about Christian growth is for us to be reminded of and understand that Christian growth, it doesn't come automatic. Okay? It doesn't come automatic. It's not, I became a Christian when I was 25 and I automatically started growing, you know, and now I'm 35. I've been a Christian and it just, you know, it happens with time. Christian growth is not like that. It's not automatically proportional to the time you've been a Christian. Hebrews 5 deals with this exact same thing. Listen to this, Hebrews 5.12. writer of Hebrews says, For though by this time... You ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You understand that? That one of the ways that he's admonishing this particular group of Christians is that there's been some time that's passed and you ought to be here, but you're not here. And one of the things that that definitely means is that that growth in Christ's likeness, it does not automatically happen with time. You need to know that. You need to know that. You need to be prepared for this. You know, one of the ways to understand this is just because you're an old Christian does not mean that you are a mature Christian. Christian life doesn't work like that. And we need to be aware of it. It's not automatically... Uh, infused with us as we age and as we grow older. And some of us know the conviction of being a Christian for a long time and not growing in proportion to how long we've been believers. Some of you know that by experience. That's a painful thing. And this is what Peter's admonishing. Let's grow. Let's move forward. Let's not stay in the same place. Grow in grace. And then the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen automatically. Okay? I'll give you an illustration of this. It's not like baking bread. Okay? And, I, and I'll probably shame myself. Um, uh, there, there are many of you that know way more about baking bread than I do. But I'm going to take a shot at this. Okay? I'm an expert in eating bread, not an expert in baking bread. Okay? But I want you to think about how different the Christian life is than baking bread. Some types of bread, what you do is you knead this dough and then there comes this time where you set it off to the side in a bowl or however you do it. And you know what you do when you set it off to the side? You do absolutely nothing. You do absolutely nothing. It sits there. There are these chemical reactions that are happening and the bread is, is being proofed and this, and this dough is rising up and you're doing nothing. Okay? And I want us to walk out in full understanding the Christian life is not like that. It's not like baking bread. It's not 
set it and forget it. And it just happens. It's magic in a bowl. I have no idea what's going on. That's not how you're going to move forward. You will never move forward with that mindset. In fact, the exact opposite is true. That we grow not in proportion to time, but in proportion to effort. You grow in proportion as a Christian to the effort that you put into your Christian life. Direct proportion. And this is not the first time in this letter that Peter has exhorted these Christians to move forward to grow. I want us to go back to chapter 1 of 2 Peter. And he sketches out this growth in a lot more detail. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter looks at a group of Christians who are justified by faith apart from works. They have the righteousness of God and he tells them, make every effort, make every effort to move forward. In your Christian life. Do you have a grid for that? Do you have a grid for that in your Christianity? Go to chapter 3 verse 14. Same group of Christians. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these. And he's talking about the new heavens and the new earth that's coming. Peter says, Be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish. Same idea. Be diligent to do this. Make every effort to do this. Be diligent. Make every effort. Effort, exertion, it's required for you to grow. You're never going to become more like Christ with this autopilot mentality. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to do something if you want to move forward. You're going to have to make every effort and you're going to have to be diligent. Be diligent. Do you have a place for verses like this in your Christianity, in your walk with God? That God says, I need to work really hard at moving forward and growing with Christ. Now, one more bullet point to consider before our exhortation. And I want to talk to somebody you know, that you're excited this morning. You're learning these things. And you're reminded of these, these gospel foundations. And you're ready. You're ready to move forward. You, you told me to put, put forth some effort. And I heard you on that first point. Because you're not talking about you know, make every effort to be justified. No, I settled that. I got the righteousness of Jesus. But I'm ready to move forward with Christ today. I'm ready to work hard and I'm ready to do some stuff and to exert myself for the Lord Jesus. It's really important. This next bullet point tells you where you need to spend that effort. Okay? Because it's possible to spend it in the wrong place. 
And you've got zeal coming out of your ears, but not as much knowledge. Okay? And so we want to be instructed. Where do we put this effort? Where do we exert this effort? And I want you to think about this. If we were to go home this afternoon and every one of us did this little experiment, you could hold your breath for three minutes, you know, strain as hard as you can, scream as loud as you possibly can, and not one of us, by straining, can bring forth the virtues of Christian character. Okay? You can't do it. Go try it. Except for the holding your breath part. Okay? I don't want anybody uh, passing out. But we can't do that. that when, when we're told to make every effort, we need to understand where are we trying to put that effort. Because we can't bring forth the grace of God. But I'll tell you what we can do. Is we can strain, we can make every effort, and we can be very, very diligent to go after the means, the means by which God gives us grace. The means. And one of the things that we need to learn about sanctification and how God makes us more like Christ is He uses means to do that. It's not, you know, it's not this automatic download and we just become more like Christ. He makes us more like Christ through means in our life. And there are many. Suffering is one. We sang that in that song just a minute ago. But the means that the Word of God singles out more than any other as the instrument, the means of our sanctification is that God intends to use Scripture to make you more like Jesus. And when we're thinking about, I'm ready to work, I'm ready to go, let's, let's put forth some effort. We need to understand where you need to do that is you need to exert yourself. You need to make every effort to, to, to marry your life to Holy Scripture. This is how it works, that you give yourself totally, completely, and diligently to the Word of God. Scripture is the means that God uses to sanctify us. And Peter's teaching these Christians this. You go back in the first Peter chapter two, I want you to notice he points these Christians in this direction. And he says this, first Peter chapter two, verse two, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Did you catch that? He wants these Christians to grow. And God wants you to grow. He wants you to grow up in salvation. That's the end. That's the end that God is after. Look at the means in that verse. How are they going to get there? Pure spiritual milk. Milk. They're going to grow by drinking that pure spiritual milk, which is the Word of God. He says the same thing in 2 Peter in a little bit different way. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, he tells these Christians that God has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Did you catch that? You can become partakers of the divine nature. That, that, that God offers us this rich salvation that not only are our sins forgiven, and not only can we know God, we can become like God. 
We can become like Him. Share in His divine nature. Not in His deity. That's silliness. That's nonsense. Talking about the communicable attributes of God. His goodness. His mercy. His love. His grace. You can be like Him. That's the end that God is after in our life. And it's glorious. But look at the means. He tells us that we're going to become partakers of the divine nature through these precious and very great promises. Do you see that? Sanctification comes through means. You grow through milk. You partake of divine nature through promises. You're sanctified as you interact and intake holy scripture. And this is foundational when you think about how to move forward. You need to know that. Okay? And so let's Let's stare this commandment in the face this morning. And, and we want to respond to our God. This is the word of our Father in heaven. And He commands us this morning to grow. Imperative in the Greek. This is a command. God expects us to move forward. He doesn't want us to stay where we are. Grow. And the first place that we're going to start is that if you're really serious about that, you're really serious about glorifying Christ and moving forward, then you must make every effort, every effort. Think about the coming year. You want to grow this year? You must make every effort. You must be diligent in Scripture. You must make every effort in the Word of God. Growing in grace begins with growing in Scripture. That God-appointed means of our sanctification. I want you to think about your Bible. This coming year. I want you to think about it like rocket fuel. For the Christian life. High octane rocket fuel. That transforms us. Into the image of Christ. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. Powerful. Active. Sharper than any two edged sword. This is the word of God. Words from the mouth of God. And it's so essential for your sanctification and your Christian life. Listen to me. I want to convince you of this. It's, su it's such an essential piece that you will never grow as a Christian beyond your intake of the Word of God. You'll never grow past and beyond your relationship with the Bible. That's how necessary. That's how foundational. That's how fundamental we're, we're talking here. It's the means that God uses to sanctify us. I want you to remember what Jesus says to Satan in Matthew 4. Verse 4. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. Do you know that? Of course you know that. We all know that. That we know that we need food or we won't live anymore. We need it for our survival and for our nourishment. We need bread. We need nourishment. We need food. Jesus says that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Is your awareness of your need for Scripture sharper than your awareness for your need for bread for your stomach? You need it. You're this dependent on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God made you like that. He made you as a creature completely dependent on His Word for nourishment or survival. And we need to learn that. That we're that dependent. Our Christian life is that dependent on our intake of Scripture. 
You might have a different experience than me, but I don't think so. At least not in this, in this area. That you will never meet a strong Christian with a weak relationship with the Bible. Think about how foundational that is. You will never meet someone who is strong in the Lord and yet who is weak in the Word of God. God has ordained that that instrument, His Word, the Holy Scripture, is what He intends to use to strengthen us and to make us strong. And I hope you see your personal growth, even in the coming year, is directly correspondent to your relationship and your intake of Holy Scripture. And I don't want you to ignore this. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to move forward, you don't want to stay where you are or where you've been for a really long time. Some of the folks, as, as, I, as I've talked to different people and they're joining this church, they're really excited. And one of the things that they say is, I want to, I want to grow here. I want to grow here. I want to set some things in order in my life that I know are lacking. I want to grow here. And we say, Amen. May the Lord do it. Hundreds of times over at this church. But if that's you, and I hope it's all of us, that we want to grow, then we don't need to go any further. We need to start right here with this question. What will you do with the Bible? What are you doing with God's Word? What will you do with God's Word? In my observation, the single most fruitful practice that I've ever seen in any Christian's life is a personal reading of the Word of God. A habitual, personal reading of the Word of God. I've never seen anything else that's able to substitute a lack of a personal relationship daily even with the Word of God. And so if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you have never read through the Bible, and I mean the whole thing. That's what Jesus said, right? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if you're here this morning and, and, and you've been a Christian for a long time and you've never read the Bible, I want to exhort you and challenge you. Read the Scriptures. You've got to get through the Bible. You're never going to be able to move forward unless you, you press into the habitual reading of the Word of God. And don't you let Satan discourage you. Don't you do it. We know how this works, right? We know how it works. That if we, we, we know we're guilty, we know we're supposed to be in a different place than we are, we let those lies, and that's what they are. They're demonic lies. We let them land on us. Things like, well, I could never be like so-and-so. You know, they know the Bible, and I see them, you know, quoting all the stuff, and they're learning there, and I can never be like that. You need to learn how to talk to the devil. And you can start right there, and you can say, get behind me, Satan. You know, Jesus talked to the devil. He did that. Get behind me, Satan. And you can cast down lies and refuse to believe them, because the truth of the gospel is that if you're in Christ, part of the new covenant is that this law is written on your heart. You belong in this book. This isn't for other people. This isn't for, you know, super Christians. This is for you. This is the word of your father in heaven. And it's time to move forward. And if you are 
reading Scripture and even reading it habitually, reading through the Bible, I just want to encourage you to press on more and more. That it's never you're never going to get to a place in your Christian life where you don't need that daily dependence on the Word of God to move forward. To move forward. I would strongly recommend, this is not a law intended to bind anyone's conscience in this room. Okay? But I would strongly recommend that if you do not have a plan, a Bible reading plan, I would strongly recommend that you get one. I've seen it help tens of hundreds of Christians to begin to read through the Scriptures. If you have a plan and it's working, great, don't change anything. If you don't have a plan and you want to move forward with the Christ, there are Bible reading plans coming out of our ears in American Christianity. Pick one and begin to read through the Scriptures. Begin to read through the, the Word of God. And I don't want you to get so focused on which one. Which one should I do? You know the most important thing about a Bible reading plan? Reading the Bible. That's the most important part. Just do it. Just begin to, to read God's Word. And you want it to be the habit of your life. And I want to say one more thing. Fight really hard this morning that you're not hearing this as this drudgery and this duty that you must keep and, and obey. I want you to fight really, really hard to see this as your delight. Your delight. That when we, when we talk about feeding on Scripture, when we talk about taking in Scripture and reading Scripture, we're talking about hearing the words of God fall out of His holy, precious, and beautiful mouth, personally addressing us and revealing Himself to us in Jesus Christ. This is a privilege. This is a privilege. Fight really hard to see it like that. Psalm 1 tells us that blessed is the man whose delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Reading the word of God is not just a, a cold, lifeless duty. It's a delight to sit in the presence of our Father who is in heaven. Peter goes on and he gives two qualifiers. Grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of Jesus. And those two qualifiers remind us that not only are we to make every effort in the Word of God, not only is, is that effort required, that diligence required in the Word of God, it reminds us that our approach to Scripture must be gospel-centered and Jesus-saturated. Our approach to Scripture must be gospel-centered and Jesus-saturated. I personally know the pitiful, lifeless Christianity that comes when you try to go to the Bible and ignore Jesus Christ. And what we want to say all across this room is to hell with Christless approaches to the Word of God. To hell to the darkest pit of hell with Christless approaches to the Word of God. This book is about Jesus. This book is about Jesus. And as we draw near to this book, even on a daily basis, we are to intentionally and purposefully and habitually draw near to Jesus. Making every effort in the Word of God gospel-centered and Jesus-saturated. Peter tells us to grow in grace. Listen to this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this. He says, The ultimate test 
of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. I want you to think about that this morning. How important is that to you? This afternoon, if you were to ponder the path of your feet, if you were to take spiritual inventory of how goes it with your soul, and you were to take those spiritual vital signs and put your hand for the pulse, how important is this to you? How amazed am I right now at the grace of God in Christ Jesus? How much does the gospel move me? How much of my affections does the finished work of Christ have in my heart? Martin Lloyd-Jones says it's the ultimate test of our spirituality. The grace of God is His kindness to us in Christ. And think about how, therefore, to grow in grace is to grow in our dependence on Jesus Christ as a source of all grace, the source of all that kindness. Growing in grace is, is almost synonymous, if not synonymous, with living a, li a life of faith in the Son of God, looking to Jesus for everything. If you want to grow in grace, you've got to make this a habit. Maybe even that prayer in John 15, verse 5, that, that our daily gaze more and more ought to be to look to Christ and to confess to Jesus, Jesus, you are the vine and I'm the branches. And apart from you, Jesus, I can do nothing. And I believe in Jesus and I want to look to you more and more. I want to rest upon you more and more for grace. This is a daily practice. Growing strong in grace is a daily practice of bringing your insufficiencies to God and allowing Jesus Christ all sufficiency to swallow up all your insufficiencies. Grow in grace. Live a life of faith in the Son of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Strong in it. Finally, Peter tells us to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about that this morning. If we're thinking about that command rightly, it doesn't even hardly seem like a command at all. It's a privilege. And it's the highest of privileges that we can know Jesus. That we can know Jesus Christ. And I'll remind us, Peter's not talking here about knowing more about Jesus. Peter's talking about knowing the person of Christ. And I want you to consider this morning, what a privilege. What a privilege. Not only can we know Him, but we can press on to know Him. We can increase in our knowledge of Christ. Not a head full of facts about Jesus, but a heart busting with affection for Jesus Christ. I love Him. I want to know Him. I want to know Him more. You can be absolutely sure that nothing in this world compares with knowing Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing can stand beside Him. Nothing can be His rival. He is the one for whom all things are made. And this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. All things are lost to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And we get the opportunity to know Him more. And then think about this. We began to pursue Him and to know Christ. We begin to know the One who is unsearchable in riches. You see how beautiful that is? That when you begin to know Him, there's no depths to the riches of the knowledge of Christ. And so we could put our efforts together, pitiful as they would be, for the next hundred years of our life and a thousand years into eternity. We could collect all of our efforts together to press on to know Jesus. We could put them all together and we would not even be close to plumbing the depths of the glory, of the beauty of Jesus Christ, of His majesty, of His authority, of His grace, of His great love. He is unsearchable. Is that not a beautiful thing? That we are chasing the one. We are pursuing. We are in this never ending eternal pursuit to know him more. To know him more. And we never hit the bottom of his glory. It's amazing. I'll close by reminding each of you that you are made for Christ. You're exhorted to grow in the knowledge of Christ and you are made for him. Everything in all of creation was made by Christ and through Christ and also for Christ. You exist for Him. And I want to remind you of that this new year, that God made you not to gaze at yourself and not to look out at this world. You were made to gaze upon Christ. You are created to be oriented to Jesus. This is what you were made for. And you ought to make it the daily habit of your life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To gaze upon Christ as you go to the Word of God that you're looking to increase. I want to see Jesus. I want to be reminded of His beauty and of His glory. And I promise you this, that as you behold Him in the Word of God, two things are going to happen in your life in this coming year. And the first is that you're going to love Jesus. It's impossible to see Him for who He is and not love Him. If you don't love Him, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us you're blinded by the God of this age. It's not because there's anything unlovely in Jesus. It's because of your own blindness. If you see Him, if you know Him, you will love Him. You will treasure Him. He will be your highest desire. Nothing will compare to knowing Christ. But I got one one, one step further, that not only as you gaze upon Christ will you love Him, the Bible says you'll be made like Him. Isn't that beautiful? That you can share in the nature of the one that you love, that you can become more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 tells us that as we behold the glory of God, and that's in the face of Christ, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. If you know Him, you will love Him and you will be like Him. And I want to encourage you to call out to God and ask for these things this year. Ask that your affections would be raised from the dead. If you're cold, ask God to raise you from the dead. 
Ask God to give you eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ in Holy Scripture. Ask Him for it. Ask God for ears to hear the voice of Christ as you read Holy Scripture. And even hear sermons like this, that you would hear Christ addressing you. Ask to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Ask to be caught up in that glorious cycle of knowing something that you can't even fully know. Ask for the love of Christ to be poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Growing grace. If we're known for anything at Grace Community Church, let it be this, that we know Jesus. That we press on to know Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless your name today. God, we thank you for your word. And I want to ask you, God, that you would be pleased for your own namesake, Lord. That you would be pleased to cause your word to bear fruit in our hearts, God. God, please look upon us with compassion. Our time is short, Lord. And we have this vapor of a life ahead of us. And we want to glorify Christ. We want to grow. We want to be a holy people. God, let your word come with power today. In the name of Jesus. Amen.